Well, it's our Thanksgiving service, as it were. Uh, And let's consider for a moment, if you will, Thanksgiving as a holiday. Typically, we sit around tables with family and we feast a little bit. And and, uh, maybe on a good Thanksgiving, we take some time and share what we're thankful for, right? And we ask our children, what are you thankful for? Uh, And we express what we're thankful for. And, And it might go like this, you know, we're thankful for our health. We're thankful for the health of our family. We're thankful for our family, our home. We're thankful for our possessions, our jobs that provide for all of these things. We're thankful for Christ. And ultimately, we'll even express that thanksgiving for those things that we have unto God, right? Who ultimately all these things come from. And in the end, there's a clear theme that's running through this question, what am I thankful for? And it's the benefits or favors that I personally receive. I'm at this center with God being thanked as an exchange for what he's given to me personally. Right? And our judgment at this time of Thanksgiving would probably be uh, rooted in our perception of the genuineness uh, of this time. Right? Uh, Which would be expressed in kind of an emotional response. So... If I got choked up while I was saying these things, then I'd be extra thankful. Um, And that would be an expression of the gratitude I had for all those things. Well, as with all things, uh, and I'm going to be at a pretty high pace this morning because I'm really working hard to try to get through in the time that's allotted uh, so so, uh, that Randall won't chasten me publicly. So with all things, we might investigate what the scriptures have to say about thanksgiving. And we might consider a theology of thanksgiving even that's defined and informed by the scriptures. And I know you're like, he just dropped theology. What is this going to look like? Well, my next slide should relieve that. I got my slide changer here today. Snoopy actually expresses well why theology is, is really so tough for most of us. And so Charles says, I hear you're writing a book on theology. I hope you have a good title. Snoopy says, I have the perfect title. Has it ever occurred to you that you might be wrong? (laughs) Well, uh, I'm a lover of biblical theology, uh, which is basically just an exercise in tracing biblical themes throughout the whole of Scripture in order to gain a better perspective on what Scripture says about something. And so uh, Snoopy's right on. Uh, Theology is the process of coming to the realization that uh, I indeed might be wrong. uh, And you might be wrong. (laughs) So um, there's a book in my favorite biblical theology series called Thanksgiving. And I'll have to be honest with you, as I saw it, it was pretty low on my list. Uh, Thinking, you know, what could really be said about that. Well, the opportunity presented itself for me to get to speak at Thanksgiving, so I thought I might buy it and check it out, you know, see what's there to be said on Thanksgiving. And uh, I came to identify with Snoopy in my study. When I started to look at what the Scriptures had to say and I examined my personal practices and perspectives um, in light of what they actually taught, I came to see that I had a very deficient view, uh, yet another gaping hole in in my biblical perspective, in my theology. Um, And so it taught me 
uh, how I might be wrong, and indeed was in many perspectives. And so uh, I invite you this morning uh, to go on a little journey with me as we consider a biblical understanding of thanksgiving, all right? Now, our goal here is to get kind of a view from the 30,000-foot level. Are you with me? So we're going to be looking at Genesis to Revelation, but we're not going to read it all. So, all right. And, and, and I'm glad you laughed. Randa didn't laugh. She looked down at me like this. No. But we're going to be going pretty quick, and we're just going to pick up some themes, all right? And, and as we go, here's going to be our process. So I want you to have it in your mind what we're going to look at. We're going to look at, we're going to start with our own practice of Thanksgiving and perspective in a modern Western conception, all right? And then what we're going to do is we're going to contrast that with Paul's practice of Thanksgiving in the New Testament. So we're going to get, be able to see if maybe we're deficient in a modern Western, and when I say we, I mean our culture, okay? I acknowledge that you guys have the Spirit of God in you, and, and we're all at various levels of sanctification, so it might just not describe you at all. It did describe me in many respects, so... Uh, I'll speak for me for sure. Um, and then we're going to kind of step back and look at a wider biblical perspective of Thanksgiving. And then we're going to come into looking at a, a perspective of Thanksgiving in light of the covenant, which is the basis by which Paul and other writers understood Thanksgiving. All right, so it's going to be kind of a, a big scope view of Thanksgiving. Don't, don't feel intimidated by that. It'll go pretty quick and it won't be too painful. And even in the end, I think you might say, hey, there's value there. Um, I know I did. So pray with me before we get started here. Father, thank you for all your goodness and the things that you give to us. Thank you for who you are, for you are Lord of all heaven and earth. Thank you that you've made us for yourself. And Lord, that we can come together and worship you and that you've given us your word by which we can come to know you and know how to relate to you. Lord, we rejoice in this, and I pray that as your word is proclaimed, your spirit would open the hearts and minds of we, your people, and, and Lord, that we would align ourselves anew with you, and Lord, that our hope might be stirred for the great expectations we have in your continued faithfulness in our lives unto the coming of our Savior. So I just ask that you would bless our time this morning in Christ's name, amen. Well, then starting with a modern Western conception, which is a mouthful, but our cultural perspective, all right? Um, it's a model that's dominated by kind of this emotional sense of gratefulness. And you kind of heard me playing those out in my, in my illustrations. And, and this emotional response is response to a certain act of kindness on our behalf individually. And even within our culture, we have a need to fulfill the debt of personal relationship in our response, right? Um, in other words, you ready? You show the etiquette of thankfulness for what is given to you personally and seek to repay the debt somehow so you'll have a sense of evenness in that relationship. I'll give you some examples of how this plays out. Think of your children. Think of a child, right? Someone gives a child something, and how do you prompt them? Yeah, what do you say? Thank you. Oh, okay, good, good, all right. Good. Yeah, they're very grateful. <laughs> all, right. all right, good. Um, and so this, this response is an appropriate act of etiquette, all right? 
Uh, and as they become older, you know, I've noticed with my teenager, they will inflect their voice to show emotions that equal their feelings or the warrant of thankfulness in a gift. So, for example, if I gave my son a pen, he might not say anything at all. He might grunt at me or he might go, you know, thanks. You know. If I took him out to lunch, though, he'd be like, thanks. Notice the inflection of my voice and the emotional response. If I got him a PS4, he'd be like, wow, thank you so much. But there's a bigger one. If I got him a new truck, it would probably it would be a little loud for me to express that. So I'm going to tone it down even to what that response would be. But it would be like, Dad, you're the most awesome in the world. Thank you so much. Oh, my goodness. And, and you know, he might even go clean his room. <laughs> I wouldn't even have to say anything. I'm, I'm getting nose over here like, nah, not likely. Not likely. But he'd sure express it in big, boisterous, emotional terms. Uh, and this is his attempt to repay the debt in an emotional response. As adults, we give thanks to the one who gives to us, but we seek to repay that debt. And we're able to, most of us. And so we do. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, I take people to lunch oftentimes. And when I take them to lunch and pay for it, it, it never fails. It's thanks. I got it the next time. Do you, see, do you feel that burden? I mean, you've been in that situation, right? The burden to fulfill the debt of balance in that personal relationship. I'll get it next time. Or we, we might do other things too. So they do something nice or something you received, and we need to write a thank you card, right? Because that's going to pay the debt to fulfill. Because I took the time to go get the card stuck, write it, mail it, you know, lick that nasty stuff and send it off into the mail. So that debt is getting repaid. Well, in the end, thanks is reduced to a gesture, similar to a greeting or saying goodbye, right? Thanks. See you later. Thank you. Uh, in which we express to the giver when, they, when we personally receive something from them. And beyond the gesture, there may also be an act in order to try to repay that debt to them in order to balance the relationship. That's really a modern Western conception of Thanksgiving. Do you see that in your experience? Yeah? Yeah? No? You're crazy? I'm going home? All right. Well, be thankful is a recurring plea of Paul. And actually, the verb to thank, which, and, and I would only use this Greek term because I'm going to bring it up later. Eucharisteo is where we get the word Eucharist. Have you ever heard of the Eucharist before? We call it something else. We'll talk about it later. Well, when it has the meaning of thanksgiving, it actually occurs 62 times in the New Testament. And more than three-quarters of those times of those occurrences appear in Paul's epistles. And interestingly, only in Paul does one actually find a call to be thankful in the Scriptures. And so uh, Paul is, is real unique and actually speaks into thanksgiving a whole lot. And we're going to talk about that a little later too. First, though, we were going to look at observations in Paul's view of thanksgiving because we're contrasting that with our modern Western conception, right? Okay, so the first distinction in the introductory paragraphs of Paul's epistles, thanksgiving is not offered because of the reception of a certain gift by Paul the individual. Remember, that was part of our model. Okay? Instead, the grounds for Paul's thanksgiving are usually acts of God within the lives of other believers and their faithful response. Now, thankfulness as a result of the experience of grace by others is a reason that Paul is actually giving thanks. 
we'll take a look at a couple of these verses. Romans 1.8, you might remember. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. And again, 1 Corinthians 1.4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which is given you in Christ Jesus. And I gave a plethora of other examples. This is a very common way that Paul expresses thanksgiving in, in the opening of his letters. Um, number two distinction, another very important one, is that thanksgiving in Paul is reserved for God alone and not human beings. In fact, you don't ever find a time when God is thanking another human being. His thanks is always unto God, which is a little bit of a challenge for us. Now, there's one place where it might. It might. We're going to look at it. Romans 16, 3. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Now, there's some, that's a weird string of thanks right there. So I want to look at it real quick, because if you'll notice, he says that not only is he giving thanks to Aquila and Prissa, but who else is he giving thanks to? All the churches of the Gentiles. Now, that's a weird thing. For these two that laid down their life for him, he thanks them and all the churches of the Gentiles. What it shows is that the larger work of God is really what's in the view of Paul, even when he gives thanks. And then I want to show you something even more explicit than this. And it's a term, sometimes our overemphasis on justification, which, by the way, is very important. We miss Paul's biggest theme. You know what it is? That we are in Christ. That's one of the biggest themes of all his epistles, that we are in Christ. And if you will notice this, what does he say? What qualification does he give for Prince and Aquila before he thanks them? Fellow workers, in Christ. And the moment that he says in Christ, what he's acknowledging is that Christ himself is the ultimate source. The only reason anybody would lay down their lives for him is because of Christ. And so there they stand in Christ, carrying out the similar acts that he has as he laid down his life for us. And so even there, when it seems he's given thanks to them, he's given thanks to God and, and they're involved in that, but his thanks is really ascribed to God for what has happened, not necessarily to them. Another important distinction, this is number three, is that Paul offers thanksgiving both for past acts and future acts yet to come. Now, that's a very unique one. Uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57, when Paul is speaking of resurrection here, okay? It says this, But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that the victory over death that God is being thanked for comes when? At your resurrection. <laughs> Has that come yet? No, he's thanking for God for an act that God will do in the future. Now, this kind of flies in the face a little bit, this future orientation of our idea of equal inter interchange of grace and thanksgiving, right? Something's been given me and I offer thanks. And here, something is promised to be given and I offer thanks. Very different. But I also want you to notice this. 
His thanks for those future acts of resurrection are squarely rooted on the past act of Jesus Christ when he paid for the, the penalty for sin and death and overcame death in his resurrection. So both of those are in view simultaneously, and that's a unique distinction in Paul. Another one, this is number four, also a temporal distinction, okay? Future, past, this one has to do with the present. Paul's emphasis on a present response of thanksgiving has an ethical focus. It's not merely an emotional, oh, thank you so much. It actually has ethical implications to it, and we're really going to explore that a lot more today. Uh, Thanksgiving is viewed as a correctly aligned heart that issues forth as proper behavior unto the Lord. Um, It's interesting, in, in Paul's works, he'll often contrast the immoral one, and the immoral one will be contrasted to one who is not moral, thankful. Watch this. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints, nor filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather, here's the contrast, give him of thanks. And he does this in other places too. For the sake of time, I can't show it, but it's a regular thing that he does. Immorality, the one that's thankful. There's the contrast. Um, Well, it works the other way around too. Ingratitude is actually one of the distinguishing marks of the non-believer. Check it out. For even though they, the non-believers, knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. There's also a list of uh, in the end times with Second Timothy. In the last days, these things are going to come about, and he starts listing off immorality, unloving, and guess what else is in there? Ingratitude. And so this, this for Paul is very much linked to ethics and the way that we live our lives and its overflow of our heart. Um, five, last disposition that's, that's very different from our perspective is uh, Paul's call to a general disposition of thanksgiving without reference to specific acts. Okay? It, it points to our peculiar characterization of God's people. So he calls us such as in uh, here, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's this absolute call of just be thankful. Give thanks continually. Be thankful. It's not for a specific act. It's a general disposition of thankfulness. And that's a peculiar characterization for Paul that doesn't really line up with us necessarily. For us, it's an exchange, right? So here Paul calls that. And and this absolute term kind of presupposes a wider historical and theological framework, which we're going to now look in. So here's our transition, right? We've looked at modern Western conception, Paul's conception. We see that we have a little bit of discrepancy, right? Those aren't exactly the same. And so we're going to take a step back and get a better sense of what Paul might mean when he says Thanksgiving, because maybe we don't mean the same thing. So we're going to do that now. We're shifting to the next part of this. Um, Some scholars have actually questioned whether or not the concept of thanksgiving is even present in the Old Testament. You know why? Because the verb to thank doesn't even exist in the Hebrew language in the Scriptures. So they've wondered if that's even been present there. Um, 
upon closer examination, what becomes apparent is that it's not that the idea of thanksgiving is missing, but it's that our conception of the very notion of thanksgiving needs to be reevaluated. The way we think about thanksgiving is off, and so we might not see it there because we don't understand it the way they do. Well, in reading the Old Testament, it's helpful to focus on particular ways in which thanksgiving was expressed. And so that's what we're going to look at, all right? How did they express thanksgiving? And and in light of that, we can understand the idea of thanksgiving and how they understood it, okay? Now, the modern usage of the term, again, I just want to review real quick. The one who offers thanks is the one who is reacting properly in response to a gift to them, right? Gift, thanks. Uh, This Old Testament response is much more profound than simply noting the reception of favors. And and that's why we have a a problem understanding that. Um, In fact, one of the prominent ways that people express thanksgiving in the Old Testament is through praise. Praise is thanksgiving. And I'll tell you, I do appreciate uh, the music, uh, but particularly the words of the songs that we sing together as a family of God because I'll tell you, my entire sermon was in the last song that we sang, and I'm thankful for that because I'll I'll tell you this too, bad theology seeps in through music pretty easily. Uh, So I'm thankful that there is someone on guard and who does look at those things with great scrutiny before he brings them here for us to sing. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm thankful for that, but this concept of praise is the way they understood expressions of thanksgiving in the Old Testament. Patrick Miller notes that thanksgiving and praise have come together so thoroughly in the Old Testament that one can't really sift out one from the other, all right? So thanksgiving and praise are like two sides of the same coin. They're inseparable. Um, In both praise and thanksgiving, God is acknowledged as the powerful God who alone can deliver his people from distress and evil. Uh, More importantly, He deserves endless thanksgiving because he alone is God. Consider the psalmists who often place praise and thanksgiving in parallelism, which means they use them interchangeably, okay? I will give thanks in the great assembly. Among throngs of people, I will praise you. Thanks and praise. Uh, With my mouth, I will give thanks abundantly to the Lord. In the midst of many, I will praise him. You see the parallelism there? Praise Thanks. They see him the same way. Uh, Ezra 3.11, with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. Our modern usage of the term thanksgiving uh, has to do with human interaction in everyday life, right? It assumes, first of all, that a favor can actually be returned, particularly in our culture. But here's the deal. In the culture of the ancient Near East, and even in the culture of Paul, Um, which isn't that far separated. Uh, This idea of being able to return a debt is is an idea that they weren't really familiar with. Uh, They uh, they lived in a hierarchical society. And what that means is this. The one that had the power, the one that even had the possibility of giving a gift was the one who existed in in a hierarchy in their society. The one that received the gift probably had no power and no way to return that gift whatsoever. See, in an affluent society, though, we have the possibility of filling the debt so that we're even. In most cultures, they didn't have that opportunity. And so 
we're a little challenged in our perspective a little bit. Um, in the case of the God of the universe, the possibility of return is not there for a human being. It's an absolute hierarchy. I have nothing to offer God for the gifts and the favors that he gives to me, my breath, my life, and all things. And so the only proper response I can give is praise and worship. Acknowledging that this God is the source of all power, goodness, and life because I have nothing else to offer. I'm a recipient and have no power or goodness to give him in return. Well, closely related to praise in the Old Testament is the term to bless. And uh, Taylor McAlpine actually recently wrote a great little article on, on to bless, and, and he hit it just right. And uh, I'm hoping maybe to get it into our bulletin next week because it's a great, great piece of work. Um, when an individual blesses God, he is often offering him praises. Uh, the relationship between the two is illustrated well by the psalmist once again in parallelism. Blessed be the Lord from Zion. To him who dwells in Jerusalem, praise the Lord. So you see, blessed be the Lord and praise the Lord in parallel there. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature bless his holy name forever and ever. Well, here God is praiseworthy because of his blessings for his people. But blessing turns to praise when God is the object. So the one flows out of the other. God is acknowledged as the one for whom all goodness comes. Uh, in the term of blessing, one finds the merging again of praise and thanksgiving. Uh, the convergence of all three of these terms can be found in one Old Testament verse, which is interesting. These are all in parallel to one another. Psalm 104. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. All those concepts are wrapped up in the one. And finally... Another concept within the whole, and this is the last one, so take a breath and go, okay, we're going to make it. There's an end here. Our understanding of thanksgiving as praise in the context of worship, because praise happens in worship, wouldn't be complete without a note concerning the connection of thanksgiving and giving glory to God. You might have heard that our end in life is to glorify God, right? To bring glory to God. Well, this notion of thanksgiving as it's connected to praise in the context of worship, is also connected to us ascribing glory to God. Okay? To give glory, we like using terms a lot. It's very popular. And we use them so much, sometimes we don't step back and go, what in the world does that mean? Well, to give glory to God means to ascribe to Him honor that's due Him. Okay? To, to reveal that it is indeed God who is accomplishing this work. Okay, to ascribe honor due to him, to his name, to his works, to reveal him for who he is. That's to give glory. Well, in this sense, again, it, it's connected to acts of praise. Check out Psalm 66 with me real quick. Shout with joy to God, all the earth. Sing to the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. You see it? As they praise Him, 
they're proclaiming his mighty works. They're proclaiming his good character. And they're ascribing all the honor that is due to him in thanksgiving. So praise and glory are offered as a grateful response to the awesome work of God. Now, these actually can be distinguished, and this is an important point. All right? Glory is distinguished from praise in this. Glory is due only to a kingly ruler whose majesty demands a humble response of his people. Did you get that? Glory is ascribed to a kingly ruler whose majesty warrants a humble response from his people. This concept of lordship, and this is a very important concept for us this morning. So when we look at Paul, his concern for thanksgiving is not really that the churches practice proper etiquette. So the answer is not this. Oh, that's how Paul does it. So for now on, instead of saying thank you, I'm going to say thank, thank God for you. There, I, I did it. He's not really worried about etiquette, okay? That, that's not the point. The point is an understanding of thanksgiving that shapes and forms our hearts and out of that, we respond in an appropriate way to the God of the universe. All right? And so in this sense, Paul's concern is for worship. And who's at the center of worship? God. Even in the song, Thank You, that we just sang. Did it say, was it thanking merely for what we've received? If you'll notice, it wasn't. And in fact, it, it's, it's thanking you, specific God. Thank you for, thank you for, thank you for. And then here's something really cool. The bridge there, you know what it goes to? Just start to ascribe praise, honor, and glory to God. Why? Because he's the focus, not the gifts that we've received. Because in worship, God is always at the focus. And that's Paul's concern. Uh, this concept of thanksgiving as worship is shared by other New Testament authors as well. Hebrews 12, 28. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and all. This thankfulness has to do with the worship of God, not merely with the reception of the kingdom. Right? Uh, in this context of worship, one affirms God to be the Lord of all, and that's the real point. He's the creator and acknowledged to be the source of all goodness. So uh, when God is acknowledged as Lord of all, I want to show you what it does to us. Okay, Remember the hierarchical societies? When we acknowledge God as Lord of all, thanksgiving becomes a humbling act in which we acknowledge ourselves to be completely dependent upon him. This is a place where our context is a challenge for us. Proverbs 37 through 9, I'll paraphrase to get the point. Give me not riches, says Solomon, that I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Do you get what that's saying? It's saying if I have everything that I need because of my wealth, I might deny you and not acknowledge that you are the Lord, the creator, the giver of all things, I might think, here's the hard thing, that I'm self-sufficient, 
I might begin to think that I'm self-reliant. I might begin to think that I'm independent. Which, by the way, are three great values that we uphold in our culture. And ones that are absolutely foreign to the notice, to the concept of lordship, the lordship of the creator and our absolute dependency on him. They mean something. And there's some value in them. I get the value there. The problem is in our culture that, in in our most affluent culture, we're the wealthiest people that ever walked the face of the earth. (laughs) That concept is far out of balance of what it actually is. And so, because we're so affluent, our thanks repays the debt so we can have evenness. Why would we need to repay that debt? I'll tell you why. Because if I receive it in dependency and have nothing to give, you know where it leaves me? Submissive to the one who does have something to give. And that doesn't settle very well with me. I like the idea of independence and self-sufficiency because it means I don't really have to answer to anybody. But when we do this functionally, we're denying God and saying, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord because I, oh, but God, you give me my job from which I supply for all my needs. No, he gives you everything, your life, your breath. If he removed his presence from you, in even a moment, you would cease to exist. So this Christmas, when we celebrate that baby in a manger, remember that's the one who holds together all of the earth and everything in it by his power and his presence even as he lay there in a manger. He's the Lord. In fact, in the scriptures, the failure to acknowledge one's dependency upon the Creator is the root of all sins. So, the connection of this uh, human insufficiency and thanksgiving was always assumed in the Old Testament, though it wasn't really explicit. However, in David's prayer, 1 Chronicles 29, 10-19, we find this conglomeration of things coming together. So here's where this is, because I want you to get the context. After David has gone and conquered, and they have the promised land, after all his conquests, here's what he says. Yours, O Lord, and by the way, this is a Thanksgiving psalm. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, and the glory, and the majesty, and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Boy, the words of a king, a true king right there. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Not all glory unto the king, all glory unto the creator, who is the true king. This is then immediately followed by an admission of human weakness. I want you to see how the two are related. And, 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 and by the way, this is at the height of David's rule and prominence as king, as king. Just after he takes offerings to build the temple. And here's what he says. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Do you hear it? Humble, dependent, and thankful to the one from whom all blessings flow in heaven and on earth. The Creator, the Lord Almighty. It's interesting. 
for us who are Christians. Because here in this hierarchical relationship, we find the gospel, don't we? Paul's emphasis on justification by grace draws our attention solely to the righteousness of God in Christ. Do you bring any righteousness to the table when you come to Christ? You know what you bring? Deficiency, need, and absolute dependence on His righteousness alone. Do you see the hierarchy there? Human beings are without merit since, as the Scriptures say, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Any boasting apart from the work of God is to be condemned as trusting in one's own ability in the presence of God. Because in the presence of the cross, sorry, go back. Because in the presence of the cross, one can only rely on the grace of God. And here it is again. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the Lord. What does Paul have to boast in? He has to boast in what he brought to the table. And what did he bring to the table? I'm a sinner in need of you, Jesus. That's all I bring to the table. I'm a failure. I have no hope of any salvation. I have nothing to bring you, Lord. I come completely empty-handed, only able to receive a gift if you should deem to give it to me. That's all I bring. Open hands. Do you see it? Well, God and not his gifts are the primary focus of Paul's thanksgiving. And it's because when Paul gives thanks, Christ's lordship is in view as the one who only gives. Therefore, to, to focus on gifts is kind of strange. All things come from the hand of the Lord. So who do I focus on? The Lord. Everything comes from Him. Why focus on His gifts? Focus on Him. There's nothing that's had in heaven or earth that doesn't come from His hand. He's the focus. Because remember, thanksgiving is linked to praise and praise to worship. And worship is centered upon who? God. God is the focus of worship. God is the focus of thanksgiving. So when you go and sit down with your kids, don't say, what are you thankful for? And if you do, make sure that where you're heading is who are you thankful to? Because that's the focus of thanksgiving. Who you're thankful to. The Lord and creator, the sustainer, the upholder of all heaven and earth. The one to whom I have nothing to offer, but only come as a beggar who can receive from him who gives all good things, who has all the power. Are you with me? All right. Well, for Paul, the image of this invisible God, Christ becomes the Lord of all. And there's something real interesting here, so I've got to make sure I point it out. doing pretty good here, too. In this context, in Colossians, creation language is again invoked, okay? Pay attention to this. Let me make sure I'm doing good. Yes. All right. For by Him, by Christ, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. That's pretty Christ-centered, I think. <laughs> Not just by Him, but for who? Us? No. For Him. <laughs> because He was the point of it all, always. Because He's God. It is in Colossians, 
where the lordship of Christ is emphasized maybe more than any other place. You want to know something funny, though? Guess where Thanksgiving is also emphasized more than any other place? Colossians, and they're always connected because this is Paul's understanding of Thanksgiving. To be in Christ, like Pris and Aquila, like you, to be in Christ and to acknowledge Christ as Lord of all is expressed by acts of thanksgiving through the Scriptures. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, as what? Lord, yes. Continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. The fact that Thanksgiving focuses on the Lordship of God in Christ and is not simply a response to certain favors is explained here. And, and particularly in this absolute call of thanksgiving, right? Because I mentioned Colossians 3.15, and be thankful. A call in general to thankfulness. Why? Because you're the creature, that's why. And for the creature, all things are given. Not one thing you have. Not your breath, not your life, nor anything have you, do you have on your own. And so you can be called generally in light of the Lordship of Christ, to in general, be thankful. Kind of explains why Paul's thanksgiving, I mean, in light of that view of thanksgiving, would you ever thank a human being? That's a weird concept, isn't it? I mean, if you understood thanksgiving, I know there's etiquette, okay? I'm not saying that. If you thank someone, you are an idolater. I'm really not saying that. There's a whole social construct here called etiquette, and you probably ought to do it, just to be honest. But let me tell you this, too. My brother, I love him. He came and visited me for a little while. And when he left, and we talked through this, and when he left, he said, Jason, and I love him because I, I love his heart and his response to this. He said, Jason, and they're in hard times right now. We were able to fit the bill and treat them and bless them, and, and it wasn't us. And he acknowledged it. He said, Jason, I thank God for you and your family and for the provision that he's made for us through you. Praise God. Thanks be to him. And you know what? I wasn't offended, believe it or not. I was actually humbled, and, and, and it evoked within my own heart a sense of thanksgiving of the great provision of God because at the end of the day, I have nothing to give but what's been given to me. And for him to, to respond to me in that way evoked within my own heart a thanksgiving to the Creator of all the earth from whom all things come. Had he thought me, had he thanked me, I might have thought I did something pretty awesome. But as it is, I'm a creature of our Lord and King. And that's the only place I ever get, and it's not a bad place. But it issues forth in praise and worship and thanksgiving. Well, in the Hebrew covenant, did you hear that? We're switching again. This is the last leg, okay? And it's a big one. So really, take a breath. We got the time. We're going to look at this real quick because it's big. And I'll tell you what it's going to do. You're going to come to see that we celebrate a Thanksgiving feast the first Sunday of every month. And it's cool. All right, you ready? Here we go. The Hebrew covenant. A covenant is 
the relationship between God and his people, okay? It's expressed in covenant, all right? Thanksgiving is the link between covenant and Paul's theology and ethics. Thanksgiving is the link between those. So we, we kind of focused on Thanksgiving. We came to see Paul's theology and ethics linked to the lordship of Christ, right? And now I'm going to come over here and say the basis for his understanding is coming out of his understanding of covenant. You see how they're related? There's a rationale there. You'll, you'll follow me when I start going. Remember the past, present, and future orientation of Thanksgiving? You're fixing to hear that expressed in terms of covenant. And I've got spaces for time warp here, so don't look at the thickness and think, oh no. In covenant traditions, God's people define their past by God's great works of the past, right? Remember when I, and he'll go on and tell, how I, he's telling how he's fulfilled his side of the covenant. So it's defined by their past, and yet in the present, they realign themselves to that God in the way that he's acted, correct? In light, in remembrance of all these things, so we realign ourselves with you and your purposes and your covenant with us with great hopes that you will do what you've said you will do in the future. You see all the orientation there? A past remembrance, a present realignment with that covenant relationship, and a future hope looking forward to God's accomplishment of all that. You see that? That's the way uh, these covenant traditions work. And so, uh, in the Old Testament, this is the way their covenants were looked at, okay? So in the Mosaic Covenant, they, people would look back to God's great deliverance from Egypt, right? As they were delivered from slavery, as they were delivered unto a promise in the promised land, as God now dwelt amongst them in the present, and they related with him, continually realigning themselves through the sacrificial system to this God who gave the great deliverance out of Egypt in hopes that he would also deliver on his promises in the promised land. You see it? That's Mosaic Covenant. Here's the new covenant. You ready? We reflect back upon Christ, a final deliverance from the slavery of sin and death, a deliverance that was brought not by the slaughtering of a goat, not by unleavened bread, but that was brought by the bread of life, Christ himself. And he was the Passover lamb that was slaughtered through which now he paid this penalty for sin in his death and was resurrected because he conquered death once and for all. The old covenant, that's why we don't celebrate Passover anymore, by the way. You know why? Because it was merely a reflection of what we have now. Our covenant renewal goes like this. We remember Christ. We remember all that he's done. We remember the new covenant that he's made in his blood. And Him who is the bread of life, our provision, our Lord, our Creator. And we align on ourselves with His purposes and His commands in hopes that indeed that day will come and we can praise Him for it and thank Him for it even now when we will be raised, when the perishable will be made imperishable, when we too will conquer death as He has. And so we look forward to it and until he comes, we look forward to that. You see the covenant renewal? You see how that plays out? Well, let me make sure. I might have to skip some verses here. 
Thank you. Wow, well done. You know right where I'm at. That was awesome because I skipped some stuff. Okay, you ready? The profundity of peanuts rarely disappoints. Peanuts here rightly connects, by the way, just so you know. They rightly connect a Thanksgiving supper, a Thanksgiving meal with this last supper, which was a Passover. Do you remember when Jesus enacts the new covenant renewal? Do you know what day and what meal that falls upon? The Passover. Why? Because that will no longer be the covenant we celebrate. We will celebrate a better one, an eternal one. The new covenant. Are you with me? And so it's funny that we look at this. This is their Thanksgiving gathering, if you don't know the peanuts. And he says, I invite you to Thanksgiving dinner to reveal that one of you will betray me. But he's right to connect the two, just so you know. That's a real profound understanding of what the Last Supper is and what a Thanksgiving meal really and truly is. Did you, do you know what the most defining act of worship has been for most of the history of the church? You might be surprised. We call it communion. It's also been called the Lord's Supper. And another name for it, you ready? I don't use Greek words very often. The Eucharist. The Thanksgiving Supper. I might call it the Lord's New Covenant Thanksgiving Supper. Because it's a covenant renewal ceremony is what it is. That's what it is. And it's a supper, a Thanksgiving supper. Um, I'm going to have to skip over Jesus' introduction of this. Go to, yes, stay right there. Well, Jesus introduces this, and I just was pointing out the Passover, so I pointed that out. You've not missed anything big, but I'm going to stay on task here. The very last thing, you ready? Paul notes the both the past, the future, and the present dynamic that's involved in this covenant renewal. Listen. When Jesus had given thanks, it's the Eucharist, it's a Thanksgiving supper, he broke the bread and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in what? Remembrance of all the things I did for you in remembrance of what? Because it's an act of worship. He is the focus of this act of worship. Not what you've received, but him himself. Now, they're not disconnected, but what are you remembering? Him, God, the Lord of all. In the same way, he took the cup. Well, it's the same way, by the way, in thankfulness. He took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant. He's at Passover meal. This is the new covenant. No longer Mosaic covenant. That's why you're not required to do Passover meal anymore, although you are required to do this. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of what? Of Christ, our Lord, our King, the Creator of all heaven and earth. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you ready for the present orientation? You proclaim the Lord's death and the past orientation. Here's the future. Until the day he comes. And I wanted you to see in Luke, but I'll just tell you, Christ continually says, I will not drink this cup with you again 
until I come in my kingdom. I will not eat this meal with you again until I come in my kingdom. Do you think they had expectation of what was to come? And so Paul picks it up again until he comes because this is covenant renewal. In remembrance of what Christ has done, we realign our lives to him and look forward to the day that he comes to join us again in covenant renewal. It's our Thanksgiving meal. But Paul, because of the situation of the Corinthians, and I, I get to tie this to, to Todd and what he said. I told Todd it's cool that God ties things together that I never intended and he never intended, but his sermon last week ties in with exactly what Paul's going to talk about here. The situation of the Corinthians that Todd shared with us last week was that no one was speaking grace and truth into the lives of one another, and instead they were turning a blind eye towards sin. Do you remember that? They weren't taking responsibility for one another in the body. Well, it's to this that Paul's addressing, and he gives us a greater insight into a proper understanding of the present realignment of this covenant meal, both individually and corporately, to this new covenant. All right, so that's involved. Remember I said there's a present realignment? Listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, which, by the way, would be ungratefully, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must, do you see realignment here? Must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Which I'll tell you this, upon self-examination of a sinner, your response will be thanksgiving. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And judging the body rightly, I'll tell you this, is uh, to be repentant sinners dependently in need of Christ's body and blood. So if you judge that I'm outside of sin, what are you judging? I have no need of this. The heart that we come to the Eucharist is a heart of thanksgiving and absolute dependence. And we confess to the Lord. We evaluate ourselves and we realign ourselves to that covenant. And that realignment is a position of absolute dependence on the Lord for all things. Well, we will be celebrating the Lord's Thanksgiving Supper this next Sunday as we do the first Sunday of each month. Please join us in Thanksgiving as we remember the past acts of God in Christ as we realign ourselves to the Lord under the new covenant in confession, repentance, and in humble dependence on Christ our Creator, and look forward with hope to His imminent return to us when He establishes His kingdom forever. Every element of thanksgiving we looked at today will be revisited every time we take this supper once a month. So you will have a reminder of these things continually before you and I encourage you to put yourself back in the position of the one who is thankful, completely dependent upon their creator and savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and do it as an act of worship unto him, to whom all glory, honor, and praise forever and ever and ever is due. Thanks be to God the Father from whom all blessings flow. Praise the Son through whom grace and truth were realized. Bless the Spirit through whom the Scriptures were breathed. 
and are profitable for us.